computers. This is Intelligent Performance. Welcome to Intelligent Performance, where we are fanatical about excellence in human endeavor. And today I want to pose you a question. Did you know that 9% of the plastic we produce ends up being recycled? I didn't. And that means that 91% of the plastic we produce right now on this planet either ends up going straight to landfill or ends up in the environment. I'm sure we can all agree it's a shocking statistic and a massive issue. And today's guest, Philip Major, has got a product which actually could genuinely solve this issue. Philip's going through a cat raise right now, and I found him out through Virtual, which is a platform where you, mums and dads, you and me, can jump on and even just throw in 250 bucks to support this endeavor. And why am I talking about that? Well, have a listen to what this is all about. This is a genuine solution, which they've already started to uh, do at a small scale, and it's got the option to not just break down and deal with the genuine issue of the waste, but actually turn it into something useful. I think you're going to really love this episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's dive straight in. Philip, thanks so much for joining us. And where I would love to kick this off is really asking you, what is, you know, what's intelligent performance in the waste space? Yeah, thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Uh, Essentially, for me, uh, intelligence performance is actually exactly what we want to achieve uh, and in waste, it's not just actually the rubbish that uh, is in everyone's household, but we can waste in terms of even how we deal with that. So there's there's different ways that are official to deal with it, and there's ways that are not. Um, and actually, traditional methods have been um, uh, marginally successful in, in doing this. Um, so actually, uh, what I wanted to do was set out to create something that was much more efficient, both in terms of energy, but also being able to be applied. So you've got to be able to do both uh, in order to be really effective. So I came across you through your capital raise on virtual at the moment, and what really caught my eye was initially, you know, when you hear about waste to energy schemes, as it were, it's the traditional model: you collect it, burn it. And woohoo, you've got energy because it's, you know, it's a, just a different type of fuel. So there didn't seem to be much innovation. It seems to be fairly basic. It's a well-developed technology across Europe and I think in in many different countries as well, but I've been to some in Europe. Mm-hmm. Tell me, before we get into your solution, what's been your background in, in this waste space? How how did you start to go, crikey, this is really a, a major challenge here? Well, sure. I actually started in 2014. Uh, I built previous businesses, and uh, so I've actually got patents on other other technologies. Um, so, but I started in waste to energy in 2014. Actually, I know it's been around for a, a long time prior to that. Uh, but when I first heard about it, I thought it was too good to be true. Uh, I thought more like Back to the Future with the DeLorean, uh, where the rubbish goes in and powers the car. Uh, little did I know, actually, there were ways to actually achieve that. Um, so I started that journey by looking at different technologies, uh, such as pyrolysis and incineration gasification. And as you pointed out, uh, they generally rely on heat. Uh, people often associate it with burning, but uh, technically burning, you need oxygen and some of them don't use oxygen. So, but nevertheless, they are still very much uh, using heat, uh, which is quite problematic, especially when you deal with some waste, uh, for instance, fruit food scraps. Uh, which have a lot of moisture in them uh, because you don't get any energy out of moisture. It just takes right. and sucks up the energy, so it becomes very inefficient. And 
So in Australia, I can't help coming from a European background. And in the UK, it, we were, I wouldn't say we were kind of pushing pushing the envelope, but when you travel to Europe, you would start to see how seriously they took recycling. Parts of Spain, Portugal, you know, they've got bins up the wazoo. Um, we see a little bit of that here domestically, but we seem to take a very different approach. Like, bugger it, we've got a huge backyard. Yeah. Let's just stick it to landfill. So... Your what's what's your take on like, it? Do you feel like there's a there's a bit of kind of people don't really care so much here in Australia about waste? Is it is it even an issue, for, or is that in terms of the public public's conscience? I would say that most people in the public want to do something environmentally friendly, um, but uh, it is not promoted as much as it is in Europe, um, as you know, from the UK as well. Um, uh, and, but I do think one of the problems that we have is that people get very confused because there's not as much education. I think people get very confused as to what can actually be recycled or not. And that's not just understanding which plastic can. And I know we've got labels that that, uh, that actually tell us what can be recycled. But even within certain products, you could have a bottle uh, that's made of a plastic that can be recycled, but the lid can't be. Or, the, or it's got a label around it, which has glue. And uh, that can't, that's contaminated, so that plastic can't be recycled. And then they see programs where uh, recyclers are, are receiving all of this thing that we think can be recycled, but essentially the, a lot of that's thrown out and goes to the landfill. So yeah. about 9% of plastic are actually recycled. Wow. That's such a tiny amount, especially given, you know, you're seeing people fill these bins. And, it, yeah, it's definitely confusing, and it's almost like there seems to be no congruency between the recycling and the actual manufacturer it seems to be oh. pretty misaligned so and until you can cross that and, and i guess there's also no commercial incentive for a manufacturer to give a monkeys about what's going on in the end so so okay so when you first came into this what it sounds like this cycling in terms of where you're at right now wasn't the first thinking or how's it kind of progressed for you in this space yeah so my first thinking uh what I wanted to do was actually get the temperature down uh, because when you start uh, getting up in terms of temperature, one, it takes a lot of energy to do that. Uh, yeah. It also means that you've got to build more significant uh, uh, facilities to be able to cope with the higher temperatures. Um, uh, so those were two two big things. But then there's also elements of uh, some ga nasty gases are produced at, at different temperatures. So by keeping the temperature low, uh, we're much less likely to even create a problem in the first place and from a gas perspective because i know a lot of people in the community are very concerned about being around a waste to energy plant uh, because of the gas emissions and that's actually something that i really focused on and from your perspective it sounds like well actually what i was curious about going through your slide deck is that why hasn't someone else thought of this it's not with all due respect for it but a washing machine for waste <laughs> isn't exactly rocket science yeah. um or at least it probably is i'm sure it's a lot more advanced yeah. than that but just in terms of that beautiful it's an easy concept to get your head around so why do you think people haven't gone here and they've just gone to the traditional pick it up stick it in there burn it model yeah so uh, I'm quite a simple person, so uh, I like simple. There's less that can go wrong if it's simple. Um, and when I actually, uh, when I first started, uh, 
I was going down the route more traditionally. I did want to bring the temperature down, but uh, the, I was still going down the route of actually having to pre-sort and separate, uh, so which takes a lot of equipment. I was also going down the route of uh, sort of bringing, um, breaking everything up into very tiny particles, uh, and then and then converting it to fuel. Uh, so that was my first journey into waste energy, but. What I learned from that is that we can actually, um, I did further research on things called ironic fluid. Now, they've actually been around for a decade, uh, but a lot of people write them off and say, oh, they're just too expensive. And ironic fluids are essentially salts. So, uh, and they, they act as a catalyst, and that's the key. And so what I thought is, look, I'm expending all of this energy in pretreatment, which is very inefficient, I then have to move all of these things around the plant, which can then cause blockages, and so there's lots of challenges with it. And I thought, well, what if what if we had a washing machine? So a rubbish truck pulls up, dumps it all into a washing machine, and we use these ionic fluids um, and other catalysts and solvents to to treat different parts of that waste. So instead of moving the waste around, we're actually moving these fluids in and out as, as a washing machine, different cycles doing different things. So one thing which struck me when I was at the waste to energy plant in France is just the sheer scale of this. And like, and they would have, you know, you've got a plant which is taking just care of one um, municipality, you know, and or this may be one of many plants. In, and so just the sheer volume of waste is, is, is almost mind-blowing. Yeah. And so in terms of this actual like, the realistic nature of putting them into a washing machine type like how long are they staying in there for is it, is it a quick process we're we talking weeks days how, how long is it actually taking uh, so the uh, proof of concept that's been completed by qet uh, actually liquefied the waste within five minutes so wow. each cycle will happen um the cycle obviously the time will vary depending on the volume uh, but but generally it actually reacts very, very quickly. And what we'll do is cycle. So most people take their rubbish out in a, in a plastic bag um, for convenience. Uh, but that's actually a problem with recycling as well because uh, you can't get to the products that you want. Uh, whereas what we would do is we'd run a plastic cycle which would liquefy that uh, bin bin bag that releases the contents, the food scraps and other biomass. So we'd run a biomass cycle through that would then expose more plastics uh, so we'll, and we'll just keep going through the process until essentially all that's left in that washing machine is the inorganics and it's at that point we'd actually take out those the metal and the glass and uh, the, those sort of inorganics and that would actually go through that separation process for recycling but the benefit is that obviously uh, if you think about electrical wire it's covered in plastic um, so it's very hard to recover that metal, but in because we're doing it at the end of our process, that plastic's always already been removed, which makes the recycling more effective. And the actual content of that metal, and that's no different in a computer, as an example. The, just trying to access the chemicals is an absolute, you know, rigmarole. Yeah. Um, so you're saying that by dissolving a, basically dissolving away the core things which aren't what you want, you're kind of left with exactly what you want with and then just you can remove the liquid which then that's easier to move around but tell me about this liquid is it 
how viscous are we talking? Are we talking like, is it more like a syrup or is it more like uh, water or uh, how does it, what's the color behave? The actual consistency will vary depending on what you put in um, because obviously plastics uh, will produce a different type of oil to biomass. And uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but actual household waste can vary not only from city to city, but also even in seasons because wet season, you're going to have a lot more moisture. So, and that's one of the challenges also that uh, by doing the washing machine, we simplified dramatically. Um, so yeah, essentially it's, uh, it's actually quite fluid. Um, it's as if you would see oil coming from the ground. Um, I've got a photograph uh, that I could show you, but I appreciate that people are also just listening so they wouldn't be able to see it. But, mm. We can add this, um, we'll add the links to your website, Phil, on the bottom of the, on the show here. So I think, um, I think that the, certainly pr- the imagery which I've been going through myself, it certainly brings the... It's a very simple process, actually, which doesn't look that dissimilar from what you're doing, let's say, day-to-day currently. It's just where it's going and that, that dissolving process is. And just to check, is it unique? I was about to say it was, but is it is it unique in this space? It is. Uh, the actual washing machine itself, okay, it, it's specifically designed to accomplish a purpose and to, to accommodate uh, what's typically in a household waste. Uh, so it is specifically designed, but the true intelligence actually relates to the, the catalyst uh, because there's various catalysts uh, to treat different things. It's actually not just the biomass or the plastics. There's also things like uh, if you think of PVC, it's got chlorine in it, um, and when you heat that up, uh, that can become hydrochloric acid. So it can be nasty gases. So we've actually got cycles that take out that chlorine neutralize that chlorine okay. but, and uh, coming back to your, your question about novelty it, it is uh, it was actually one of the things we also looked at early on when we were setting up is we not only applied for the patent but we also got IP Australia to actually do global searches and out of those global searches there was nine documents uh, that were uh, referred by the examiner, of which our patent attorney has actually reviewed all of those and has stated that there's novelty, which means no one's doing this in the world. Interesting. And so just thinking about it in practical terms, getting a washing machine to do what you're doing, though, like this, as, as you move to a scale side of things, when you think about a, mun- a municipality, if you can say the word, like we're talking huge, right? We're talk- we would be looking at, would they be akin to a uh, when you walk, drive past an oil, dep- an oil depot? Are you talking that kind of drum size at, at full scale, Phil, or, or are you thinking much more kind of minor? Uh Short answer is no. Uh, now, the project itself may be large, but by having the lower temperature, by having uh, this washing machine process, uh, what we're able to do is actually modularize this. Um, and what I mean by that is we can actually have, a, say, a 50 ton per day, so a relatively small uh, a small module, which although 50 tons, you think, oh, that's a lot. But if you, if you spread that out over 24 hours, it's, it's actually only a couple of tons an hour. So essentially uh, what we plan to do, and this actually enables us to scale up quickly as well, 
So when you design a huge facility, it takes a lot of engineering, a couple of years of engineering, and then a couple of years of construction. It just takes a long, long time. It takes a lot of space. So what we're doing is actually uh, by the end of next year, we're working towards a 50-ton per day. And uh, once that's up and running, uh, there's a project in the Philippines that we're looking at, which is 900 tons a day. Now, the reason why we can jump up to 900 tons a day, uh, which is expected in 2025, is because instead of designing that massive facility, we're actually doing 18 of the 50 tons a day. Um, not a, so not only does that mean we can go up, but one of the other things when I was designing all of this uh, that I was very conscious of is uh, there's great need in regional and remote communities and especially island nations, because they actually export all of their waste off the island and and have to import all of their fuel. Whereas if we can uh, do this modular construction and essentially place them on the islands or place them in regional or remote uh, Australia, uh, then essentially local communities can be empowered to deal with their own waste and provide them in fuel or electricity. So this almost sounds too good to be true, Phil, in terms of like, <laughs> you've got this you know it's a low temperature you stick in the washing machine it spins around for a bit a couple of cycles and then at the end you've got the liquids you've got pure metals and pure easier to recycle glass etc and then you've got this pretty i would imagine a pretty toxic liquid so i might we'll touch on that in a minute but just talk about the oil pieces you brought it up so is it oil as you and me know it today in terms of you could stick it in a car unrefined or is it would it need to go through a an extensive process in order to actually make it usable. Yeah, so instead of uh, drilling oil from the ground, what we're doing, because uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but oil comes from biomass that's degraded in the ground over many, many, many years. Um, and what we're currently doing is drilling it out of the ground, uh, which then causes lots of problems. So we're actually, with the biomass, like food scraps or grass cuttings or those sorts of things, uh, we're actually... Uh, liquefying that into oil and plastics actually come from oil so we're just reversing that so the oil that we produce is is as if it's come out of the ground um, and just like if it comes out of the ground it goes to uh, um, a refinery which actually splits it into different levels now when we don't want to have huge refineries the billowing smoke and, and that sort of thing so we will separate that oil into different fractions of fuel. Um, so I know that we can produce uh, substantial amounts of diesel. And uh, I've had lots of conversations around this because people think, oh, well, if, the, if you're producing a fuel which is then burnt in a car, uh, that's not good. And I'd agree that uh, it's not ideal to have combustion engines. And yes, we're transitioning to electricity and hopefully that happens sooner than later. Um, but we still represent a very large carbon saving by doing this rather than drilling more out of the ground. Yeah, I think um, the revenue opportunity as well, like that would that's the one I would be thinking about in terms of commercialising this. Um, that if even in the short term, if that's what it's being used for, then we, that that would be significant as in terms of producing a return because no doubt this is going to be capital intensive to get all this going so i think thinking about creatively the revenue streams you can generate on the other side yeah. um yeah you'd be crazy to overlook that um from from that regard anyway 
Okay, so this um, the substrate, the liquid. So you've you've dissolved the plastics, for want of a better word. You've got the usable oil. You've then got this kind of what I would imagine is some pretty horrible liquid film. Uh, what what is the nature of that in terms of you know is, is it easy to deal with? Is it kind of like this toxic thing that you you kind of stuck with for the next three thousand years or something like that? Yeah, so uh, just by way of summary, there's, there's fine output. Uh, so one is the, those inorganics that we've spoken about. Another is the fuel or electricity, uh, which is a, a desirable product. Another one is water. Um, so unlike some technologies which actually require water to work, uh, we actually produce it. And that actually comes from you know the, the food scraps and the biomass uh, uh, that has moisture content in it. So we can produce that water, we can filter it, and we can actually sell that into industry or agriculture. Uh, another one is a um, uh, is CO2, which uh, we'll talk about in a moment. But uh, the other one is is actually it's a carbon residue. So you've got the oil uh, that's produced and that's uh, put into different fractions. So let's say you, you take out diesel, um, the other fraction will actually be used for our boiler. So, uh, because you've got more like petrol or you can have even aviation fuel at the part of these fractions, or you can have a lower quality fuel which, um, which can actually be used to heat the boiler. Uh, the last one is the carbon resi resi residue, and that can also be used in the boiler. So by the time you've heated the boiler up uh, using these, recycling these uh, products, you're left with an ash, and that can actually, that ash is inert and can go into road base. Very cool. So we tried to recycle or reuse um, as much as possible. Yeah, which is essentially like we, if you think about, I feel like our waste system currently is super dumb, right? As a as a process, it's so like we just go, yeah, all these amazing resources. Look at a laptop, right? Oh, what are we going to do with it? Not cost effective to try and recycle it. Cool, just chuck it out. Like it's it's insane, really. And I think we're going to look at these dumps over time as as huge resource opportunities. And I guess that's potentially where this could go, Phil. I'm just thinking more more broadly. Yeah, you see imagery these days of um, them kind of scraping the ocean, removing the, the great waste, uh, waste garbage patch out there. Yeah. So there would be good grounds here to use this technology in dissolving that too. Is that is that right? I'm actually in a conversation <laughs> about uh, one of the modular one of the modules going onto a ship that is yeah. that's picking up the waste because actually transporting waste by itself is is very inefficient. There's lots of lost space. Um, so I mean, I don't know whether we can do it, but it'd be awesome to be able to produce a fuel that could be used by the ship. So uh, it it's maximising it time yeah out at sea yeah well yeah wild i'm just thinking about the the possibility or the, the, the possible applications of the technology could be wild actually if you think about it so I, again i was reading about new york city and they've got a 24-hour operation containerizing the waste from the city floated down the river and to offload it in new jersey like it's it's wild what they what their people are having to do to to manage this waste problem which no one's really figured out any you know creative way to do this so okay let's come back to the outputs then so the oil can be tapped into it sounds like it's just obviously there's some refinement in place but it 
we're talking about converting it back to almost its original state. In some regards, of course, there'd be, there'd be some net losses there along the way. So, but in terms of the the CO two piece, you know, that's a tricky piece for any um, any any company right now. If you look at the big power companies, they're really struggling to figure out how to offset or how to manage the carbon dioxide that you know their whole business is built around. Effectively, what's your kind of strategy or approach in terms of this space? Yeah, so on the 9th of October, actually, I signed uh, MOU with Murdoch University. Uh, so they've actually spent 15 years researching using algae uh, to to treat exhaust fumes, exhaust gases. Now, bearing in mind that we're modular in construction, uh, so one of the challenges, if you had one of these huge billowing chimneys, would be how do you channel all of that through an algae pond or whatever? Um it would be really problematic. However, because we're modular, we can actually control how much uh, gas is being directed into each uh, algae pond so that we don't have a lot of back pressure. And essentially, Murdoch Gaming has spent 15 years researching it, and they're working with us uh, to deliver projects. So what will happen there is that the CO2, because most of what we produce is CO2, because uh, we've already treated a lot of the nasty things with catalysts in the washing machine. Uh, so most of what's produced is CO2. That is converted to oxygen through the algae, uh, which has been doing for hundreds of millions of years. Um, and the carbon is actually used by the algae to grow. So the algae grows. Um, and yeah, essentially we're releasing oxygen through CO2. And what's, what's even uh, more amazing is we can actually use that algae as fertilizer or potentially animal feed. Or if we wanted to, we could put it back through the machine and produce more fuel. Wow, that is wild. And just to understand, the CO two part is coming from part of you're actually looking to com- combust some of the output. Is that correct? To then turn it into power and uh, and something like that. So, how much if we were to talk percentage wise of the if you're putting a hundred percent of waste in? From an output perspective, what does it look like? Is it twenty percent going into power, ten percent into oil? What is that roughly speaking? Yeah, it, it does vary. It actually varies widely, uh, depending on on the waste. As I mentioned, if you've got moisture, and that can vary from month to month or or season to season. So it's very hard to answer that directly. Uh, what I can say is just from a conservative point of view. Uh, if there's fifty percent moisture in the in the content, if you take that out and and that's recycled, uh, the remaining fifty percent you've got about a third that will be a fuel, uh, like let's say diesel, um, and and the remainder in terms of uh, ash content, there won't be a lot. It'll be less than five percent of that. Uh, so the rem- the remainder is gas. Uh, so there is quite a lot of CO two produced. Um, and that's out of the, as you point out, either through a combined heat power generator, which is generating electricity, so the exhaust out of that, or um, for the boiler for us, uh, if we're just producing fuel, that that gas exhaust goes through the algae tanks. Yeah, cool. So just tell me, you're the market for this, uh, 
just off the top of my head, sounds it would be significant. Like, it doesn't sound like there's too many countries who would be turning you away and say, sorry, Philip, we just really love our landfill solution. We think it's the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> so, where would you start? Where do you think, um, I see in your pack you've got something around that the Philippines have got like an expression of interest around this. And I can certainly see in these developing countries, like it's, it seems it's very hard for them to manage just the sheer volume because they've got large populations in particular and then they've got island states. And so, where are you? Where are you seeing the kind of the best early early adoption of this technology? Sure. Been, uh, been learning from the past. As much as I uh, would love to have a project in Australia, um, there's lots of challenges uh, with that, especially uh, just the time it takes to get things decided. Um, although we are working with major universities in Australia. Uh, but I decided to set my sights on the Philippines because there was an opportunity there uh, to be able to have a pretty much a ready-made project where there is plenty of waste. I can get access to it. We've got government support. Um, in fact, it was the Secretary of uh, Trade and Investment that signed uh, LOI with me on the 9th of October as well, alongside Murdoch Uni. So we've got a lot of political support there. Um, and that's necessary uh, to also make sure that everything is assessed in a timely way. Obviously, we've still got to meet all of the standards uh, because it's not it's not just about the standards, it's also about local communities uh, being engaged and being supportive so we can actually show this. we're going to do what we say and we're actually going to link with the University of the Philippines as well uh, just so there's transparency, independent um, bodies uh, working with us. So I'll said a lot of things there. Coming back to your question, so the Philippines is the main uh, focus at the moment because we're looking at a commercial project in 2025. Uh, from there, uh, a part of our strategy is we're just a small company, a small tech company. Uh, we want to make the biggest impact we can, and the only way we can do that is working in partnership. So a partnership with researchers such as multiple universities, uh, they will look at different functions, but also holistically as well, working with major companies. So there are Arab engineers. Uh, I think they've got 180,000 employees all over the world. So that means that uh, we can leverage off their expertise, their local knowledge, their presence. So once we've done one site, and because it's modular, we can go to multiple places quickly, repeating that. And the last one is obviously developing relationships with government so that uh, we can uh, implement this, we can give them the information they need to make good decisions, uh, and then we just have to prioritise the what is a sustainable rollout and what are the highest priorities. And in terms of the business model, the... I'm thinking about the design of these um, of these tanks, the washing machines. They're going to be similar or in nature of so like a biodigester in some regard, right? So, uh, given that for people aren't familiar with that kind of terminology, it's like where you stick biomass uh, or waste effectively. Usually, I think it's organic waste, and then you're tapping the methane which comes out of the top. But I know there's kind of like they have tanks which turn it and kind of movers for to get the to get the waste to actually break down correctly. Yep. So from the business model perspective, where do you want to play in that value chain, Phil? Because I imagine this is a kind of like a technology which a utility might come and acquire or license you to, to utilize. Do you want to be an operator or are you just really more interested in being a, yeah, like I say, a hardware provider? 
Yeah, I think it's primarily we're a technology company that will will work with major corporations, uh, but I also want to work with local communities uh, in due course uh, to have projects that are big and small. Um, so we would work with them um, to provide the plants, uh, especially that's a big part of the reason for the modular construction. So, so we want to uh, essentially supply the technology and the plants uh, to to various customers around the world because that way they can operate it um, and we can make the biggest difference quickly. Okay. That's really, really cool. And just tell us about the cap raise. How are you finding it? It's a stressful time doing capital raising at the best of times. <laughs> You're still smiling, which is impressive. Um, why have you gone down the crowdsourcing route? Because it's um, yeah, probably one of the hardest ways to try and convince the uh, the random Joe, perhaps, who's on these platforms that this is this is the way to go. You'd have maybe have thought this is a high net worth uh, play with some of the big end of town, like a... Um, yeah, some of the well-known recyclers, perhaps, in this country is the richest guy. Um, maybe, yeah. So why have you gone down this route? Yeah, mainly because, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, this sort of venture is very different to, like, fintech and various other uh, um, businesses. We actually have quite a lot of expense um, to actually make the washing machine. Um, so what we're doing here is using crowdsource funding uh, is that adage of seeing is believing. Um, so the large end of town or you know, venture capitalists or those sorts of people uh, would like the idea, uh, but they must probably like to see it in action, uh, which is reasonable. I understand it, but the fact is you still need money to be able to do that. So crowdsource funding is a great opportunity. Yes, there's a lot of work in terms of presenting the information uh, Yeah, but it's worth it because uh, people can contribute whatever they feel as though they're able to. Um, they can make their own decision based on the information that's uh, provided. But we were already finding that there's people that put two hundred and fifty dollars in, or they've made ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand. But it's it opens it up so that everyone can be involved. So it's not necessarily just about the the financial return, uh, because this is about the purpose of why we're doing it. Um, so I think it, it really, we value everyone coming on board, um, and that doesn't necessarily have to be financial. It's, it's just being a part of, uh, looking at what we're doing and, and feeling as though they're contributing in some way, even if it's a bit of encouragement. Um, yeah. And Bill, I think it's a, it's a really noble effort and I think helping people get access to a solution like this. One, one kind of, I'm talking to my, my kind of skeptic side here. It sounds a bit too good to be true. It sounds a bit hard to believe that you've come up with this kind of, um, what's the word, mecca of an energy uh, a solution to to a waste problem which billion-dollar corporations haven't been able to figure out. Yep. Tell me, what would you say to people who are kind of in that boat in terms of, yeah, it's unlike, like there's too much vested interest in this space or or something like that? What would you say to them? Uh, so firstly, uh, I've actually got a biomedical science degree and the way our bodies work is incredible. The amount of recycling and reuse and oftentimes it is actually bringing things back down once it's done its purpose and then they reuse the component parts as in our, our bodies do. So that's where 
that was the goal or the what I wanted to do is look at each part of the journey and try and find a solution where we could either recycle or reuse. So, and it wasn't all at once flash of light when I, <laughs> I had it all in my brain. Um, I just focused on uh, the, the, the key bits and then I came up with solutions. So, uh, where is the advantage of me over, say, a major company that may be trying to find solutions? Is uh, different ways of thinking about it. So, I, I'm dyslexic. Uh, uh, that can be a weakness, but it can be a strength too, because it um, like- does mean you think of, uh, think about things a bit differently. So, yeah. Um, as to why no one else has thought of it, I don't know. Uh, is the short answer. I suspect that sometimes we get so fixed on on what has to happen that we don't ask, well, what if we tried it a different way completely? That's great. That's a great way to put it. And what if this doesn't get off the ground, Phil? What if we don't go down this route? What What do you think is predictable in this waste space at this stage? Because it does seem to be, yeah, it's an issue which, again, even the, I saw a video today about the um, the barriers they're putting in rivers, you know, and they're incredibly effective, at, you know, like all of a sudden it's like, wow, look at this sheer volume of waste. Then the question is, what they don't show is where it goes after that. Actually, it turns out <laughs> it goes to a landfill side and I guess, well, it's just not in the river. Yeah, it feels like we're kind of celebrating a, an early victory there, which is, um, yeah, there's some disillusionment there which kind of creeps in. So tell me, what, what if this doesn't happen yet, yeah, where, where do we go from there? So I think even... Uh... There's been statements put out in terms of our carbon agendas and policies, and I remember reading an article uh, a while ago, and it just said that most, for us to be able, this was an American uh, report, uh, for us to be able to achieve our carbon uh, mitigation goals or or minimisation, it was technology that we haven't got yet. So... So uh, I think most people understand, look, we've been doing waste treatment uh, in for decades and we still haven't got a solution that's working properly. So whether it's uh, uh, my technology or whether it's another uh, technology, for me, the, the most important thing is to find solutions. Now, I believe uh, that I've got a solution. I believe that uh, we've got reasonable steps uh, to be able to see it in reality. Uh, and as we take those steps, more and more people will get on board. But whether it's whether it's us or whether it's someone else, I think it's going to take new technology um, that seriously addresses the issues that we have from current technology. Yeah, I think it's um, even you, know, you and me are here on the Sunshine Coast in Australia, and um, yeah, I drive past. If you come back from Brisbane, you come back from two landfills. You know, the one in Nudgee, I think, is down there. And then um, the one up, up, up this way with me, and it's, yeah, it's kind of like, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's kind of this problem we haven't solved yet. It's kind of like we're all okay with just the dumping and we'll kind of figure that out tomorrow. But it's really, I think what you're saying is we don't need to f- figure it out tomorrow. We've kind of figured it out today and there's actual viable solutions. And so the cat race for you, Phil, it sounds like you've already built some sort of like kind of a, a mini version of this. Can you just talk us through that and, and what's that natural kind of progression look like? Yeah. So we've been working with 
Thank you for earlier. on the proof of concept testing. So if you go to our website, you'll be able to see uh, just one of the results. In fact, it shows that uh, and answers that question on, on how viscous is the oil because uh, it actually shows the oil. It also shows the carbon residue. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so, so that's the end. Um, in terms of the next step, we, we need to do a bigger version. Uh, so take it out of the laboratory and put it into a, a bigger washing machine. Um, and that's actually what this crowdsourcing, uh, crowdsource fund is all about, is to uh, get the funds to be able to do that. Uh, and then from there, that's where we actually signed this uh, um, letter of intent with a company called National Development Company. And it's actually uh, the f one of the funding arms of the Philippine government which is why I was actually signed by the Secretary of Trade and Industry. And uh, that actually specifically refers to uh, making about five million US available to produce a 50 tonne per day plant. So we've got a, a specific route. And after that, obviously, as mentioned, we'd, we'd be doing that commercial project. But the next stage is for us to, to do this crowdsource funding to raise the money for the university plant. And there you can then start to peruse the the big end of town in terms of capital. Um, yeah. And I'd imagine, yeah, the route from a mini version to, or perhaps not even that mini, but a, um, a bigger version, a proper version to a to a mod, that modular step is not such of a pipe dream. I think um, it will also help solve the of the what ifs, the what how abouts, and, you know, or, or the mechanical issues, which no doubt you're going to run into and, and all the other stuff you don't know about how you're actually going to do this, right, which is the kind of the excitement of this whole space. So, well, Philip, thank you so much for your time. I think it's been a fascinating insight to this world, um, one which many people won't know much about. Um, we're going to link to uh, Cyclian's website on the show notes. And, um, yeah, you can hopefully you're either you're listening to this or watching the video and we'll, we'll be putting some screenshots in of the actual design and how it works um the kind of simplified version which people like me can figure out phil so um yeah it's super it's grateful to have you on phil and we wish you the very best luck with the cap race not an easy job at the best of times <laughs>